that Scripture together. Oh, blessed God, again, we come in the name of Christ. We come, O oh Lord, now to the preaching of Your precious Word, and we pray for light. We pray for, Lord, sensitivity. We pray, O oh Lord, that our hearts would be prepared to receive Your Word and bear much fruit, that our minds would be prepared to receive Your Word, O Lord, and it correct us and change us. O Lord, we pray for Your power this morning as it comes in and through Your Word, that we would be built up, encouraged, edified, and made strong. Lord, that if, Lord, any believer here this morning that needs encouragement would find it, needs strength would find it, needs understanding would find it. Lord, any here this morning that know not Christ would find Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, I want to begin reading at verse 11 of Thessalonians chapter 5, and I just want to read down through verse 15. Hear now the word of the living God. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. And thus ends the reading of God's precious word. You may be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, we have approached the end of 1 Thessalonians, and Paul begins here to just lay out some some practical things, but to lay out some uh, a multitude of exhortations. He has sort of come to the end of his purpose for writing the book, and now he closes that book with just a variety of exhortations that he wants the church to persevere in, to be mindful of, you know, things that we shouldn't forget. And the first one that he brings up there in verse 11 is, a, is a, an exhortation that he's already brought to our attention just a few passages back. If you look there at verse 11 where Paul says, Therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Look back up at verse 18 of chapter 4. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Paul here is ending and closing this letter and he is giving these series of of teachings and doctrines and now he is impressing upon the church to live in light of these truths and to use it in a way that is encouraging and edifying and building up of the body of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to get to all of these this morning. We're only going to look at verse 11 and spend some time there speaking about edification and what it is to build up the body of Christ. What that is, what that looks like, why that is important. The first thing we need to recognize, and I think it's a needed and necessary 
point to remember is in verse 11 in the original language, in the Greek language, there is a two-sided approach to the command. Where in my version, which is the New American Standard, points out only one side. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. It's focused on the the brotherly side of it. But there's another side of it in the original language. It could be translated, build up yourselves and build up one another. That is, Paul's emphasis here is that we take to heart the role and duty we have of, first of all, building ourselves up and encouraging ourselves up in Christ. I want you to think about this. Why is that important to bring out in the translation? Well, if I am going to receive Paul's admonition or encouragement to edify and build up my brothers and sisters in the Lord... I need to first make sure that I myself are being built up in that same ministry and environment, under that same instruction, under those same conditions that I'm going to approach my brothers and sisters with and build them up. That is, we should not be one-sided in our exhorting and building up of Of the church. That is, I'm so focused on my brothers and sisters and what they're doing and how they're doing it that I have forgotten my own place. Now, Paul's already warned us about being a busybody. Paul's already warned us about how being a busybody is detrimental and dangerous to the church. It's not loving to be involved to insert yourself in other people's lives, unwanted and unnecessary. So we need to be careful, and I think it's important that as we look at this admonition, this encouragement... That we first of all this morning consider our own edification and encouragement. How are you doing? Are Are you working at encouraging your own heart this morning? Are you focused on? Now this is a good way. You know, you know, a lot in church we preach, don't be focused on yourself. We preach focus on others. There's a truth to that, but you know, but there's a complexity to it. See, are you interested in your own heart and soul? Are you this morning interested in coming into the presence of God in Christ and being built up yourselves? Being comforted yourselves. That is when you hear and when you hear the word of God rightly explained, rightly taught, it causes your own soul to be strengthened. It causes your own emotions to be encouraged. You find encouragement. You find delight. You enjoy it. You see how your life can be shaped and molded and changed and built up. And you find great encouragement through that and excitement about it. You see, beloved, when you come into the presence of God, your soul must feast upon Him too. 
It's easy, isn't it, to focus on others. It's easy for us to become so fixated upon someone else or a group of others or anything else other than ourselves. It's easy to be so consumed with that. But first of all, not saying it's not important, not saying that we shouldn't be looking at others, but brothers and sisters, my, my, we must first learn to take this admonition, this exhortation to our own hearts. Matthew Henry says, How can someone comfort and exhort others if they are not comforting and exhorting themselves with the same word? Think about that. How can you earnestly and sincerely be an aid and a help to a brother or sister if you are not feasting upon the same table? How are we going to be our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper, if we're not careful with our own souls? How are we going to do it? There's a passage of Scripture that even Matthew Henry alludes to. I want to go there and just point out, I think, a a reality of what happens when we are not concerned with ourselves, if you will, turn back a few books to Galatians. If you will, turn to Galatians 6. Again, he alludes to this passage, and I just want to make a point here. I want to ground the idea... In Scripture, I want to anchor it for you. That is what I'm, what I am speaking of about exhorting or being, uh, exhorting ourselves, encouraging ourselves from the teaching ministry of the Word and all that, all the graces that are going on around us. Are we taking delight in those things? I mean, have you talk to yourselves, right? You know, already this morning, some of you said, "Amen, praise God." That's not for first my brother or sister to hear it. It's for myself to hear it. It's for my own heart to express His glory, to express my thanksgiving, to express my need in Him. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a mind and a heart that is feasting upon, talking to oneself, being encouraged by, being fortified, being comforted and strengthened by the ministry that has been provided for us in the Lord Jesus, in the church. Look at Galatians 6 and verse 1 and following. It says, Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted, bear one another's, one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have, he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Now let me unpack this passage a little bit. First of all, when Paul talks about that 
brother or sister who is caught up in a trespass, in a sin. Overtaken, the word is used there. That is, uh, they find themselves in a, a, a condition of needing help. They're overtaken. He says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. That's not the one who lights candles when they pray. You who are spiritual in this context is the one who's walking by the Holy Spirit. The one who walks in accordance with the Holy Spirit. The one who walks in the fruit of the Spirit. The one who's exhibiting in a mature way the fruits of the Spirit that are mentioned up in chapter 5. So that's the one who is spiritual. Now notice what he says. We are to, uh, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. Now notice what he says. Considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Now this, this is where we're going to talk about the feasting ourselves upon the word of God. Encouraging our own hearts. Walking in the blessed truth of God's word ourselves and being comforted. And built up before we can help others. Notice what he says about this person that might help. He says, first of all, they need to be careful. Lest what? Lest they be tempted. Notice what he says. uh, For if anyone thinks himself to be something. That word there, something, means um, if anyone thinks that he is the one to do it. That's what the actual context in the Greek is. That is... If, if you think you're the person to exhort and strengthen and encourage this person that's caught in a trespass, if you think you are that person, be careful. You need to look at yourself. If you think you're the one. He notice he says, if you think you're the one when you are nothing, then nothing there negates that is. You may think you're the one to do it, but you are not the one to do it. And notice what he goes on to say. You're not the one that needs to be involved. Why? Because he has deceived himself. Why? Well, notice, but he let each one examine his own work. How does one examine their motives and in heart? How do you examine the motives and in heart? Examine your work. Examine your words. Examine what you say and what you do. And what he wants us to do, he wants you to look at yourself and you say, wait a minute, how do you know you're the one that can rightly help this brother or sister and fulfill what Paul says in Galatians as the law of Christ in loving one another? How do you know if you are the one? Well, when you examine yourself, you have to ask yourself several things. Number one, do I have a tendency to give an answer without listening. I mean, I think about it. I mean, these are some common things, right? These propensities, these tendencies. How am I to comfort and encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ if I'm not one? I'm, I'm not a good listener. How can I help them if I can't listen to them? But I already have the answer for you. I just jotted a few of these things down. Am I a person that jumps to conclusions without warrant? Am I a person that, I mean, do I really know Scripture well enough to help somebody? 
Am, do I, am I the kind of person where I can use Scripture? Do I think about it myself? I mean, when I'm correcting myself, how many times do I think about the Word of God? Right? Do you do that? When you are talking to yourself, and I know you talk to yourselves, because I talk to myself. When you're talking to yourselves, how often do you preach to you the Word of God? And I know your sermons are better than mine. My sermons to myself are really good. They're not as good as they come out to you. But in my head, they're really good. But when you preach to yourself, when you correct yourself, are you using the Word of God? Are you using secular tradition? Are you using, you know, using those philosophies that the world uses to do these things? I think this is important point to make here do i have a tendency to magnify the minor issues and ignore the bigger issues you know do i focus on the nuances does the curiosity get the best of me do i let things go too easily maybe so or do i hold on to matters too long See, all of these things, what Paul is saying is, listen, brothers and sisters, if we're going to comfort one another, if we're going to be the brother or sister to aid one another in a Galatians 6 scenario, when one is caught in a trespass or a difficult situation, Paul makes it clear, you who are walking according to the Spirit, you're the one to go restore such a one in gentleness, considering yourselves. I mean, Paul makes that as a, a requisite. Paul says, don't even begin to go exhort and uh, strengthen and encourage, edify your brother and sister if you're not taking yourself first in consideration. There's a passage of Scripture that's very misused today. And it doesn't necessarily have a direct application to what we're talking about this morning, though there is an indirect application to it, and that's Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And that's, of course, where the Lord Jesus, on the, in, in His Sermon on the Mount, corrects that um, heart of hypocrisy, that, that heart and mindset of hypocrisy and when he talks, you know, those who might be very stringent and very strict on judging others, but using a different standard that, in which they judge others by than the one they judge themselves by. If you look there at Matthew 7, it says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way, now that's the point, Jesus is not telling us not to judge. He is addressing hypocrisy here. He says, For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye and behold a log is in your own eye. Notice what Jesus says in verse 5. That's the emphasis here. You hypocrite. 
That's the, the point of it, of this judging poorly and wrongly. He's not saying not to judge. He says, but those who don't do it biblically and in the spirit, those who are not spiritual, those who are not walking according to the fruits of the spirit and, and themselves being controlled and consumed and built up and edified by the spirit, well, they judge hypocritically. He says, you hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, well, the Lord Jesus didn't say, don't go home, never do this again. He said, no, first take care of this. Then what? Then you're going to be able to help your brother. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't want to dwell on that any longer, but I want you to understand that when we get to this exhortation of Paul and Thessalonians, we certainly must take to heart the reality that if I'm going to be a true uh, comfort, if I'm going to be a true source of strength to my brothers and sisters, if I'm going to be a true source of grace in their lives to help them be built up in Christ, as Paul says, encourage one another and build up one another, well, I need to take this to heart, don't I? And don't you? I think that's important. Secondly, not only must we, brothers and sisters, learn to come and comfort ourselves. Now the word there, comfort, doesn't just mean make comfortable. It means to strengthen. That is, I come, that is, that is, what we all have in common as we are here, and this is generally speaking, the Lord Jesus is doing a work in our hearts, isn't He? And what's He doing? He's gathering us together. And He's brought us into this place of, of, of corporate worship. He's brought us to a place whereby we are, are, are it's, it's implied, our gathering is implied, God's doing something in me. It's implied. I don't have to say it to Adam. I don't have to say it to David. It's implied that he's doing the work in Adam. He's doing the work in David. He's doing the work in me. He's doing the work in you. And we have gathered ourselves together that we might corporately comfort one another and edify one another under the ministry and headship and majesty of Christ Jesus. Through the power and the work of the Spirit of God. Changing us, correcting us, molding us, shaping us, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, and hopefully I'll get over there in a moment, that we are spiritual stones being knit and fitted together by Jesus. Now I want you to you know, I got a mason that's working out on the plantation. And what I do is that mason, he picks that thing up, man. He looks at that brick and he he whacks. I can't, I'm, I'm limited. I only have one hand. He, he cuts that thing with a trial he's got in his hand. He has been doing this for so long, he doesn't even hardly look at it and misses every one of his fingers. And he can cut that brick. And he sets it right in place and it fits. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus has taken every one of us as spiritual stones. We got families. Guess what? We have marital issues. You say, whoa, 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 Pastor, are you looking at my family? No, every marriage has issues. There is not a perfect marriage. 
There are two sinners that have come together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you fuss and you fight and you have one interest and one other has another interest and you've got to work together all for the common good of Christ. Right? You have parent-child problems. Parents want one thing for their children. Children think they want another thing for themselves. And there's all of these issues that we are learning. What's Christ doing in that home? He's whacking them stones. He's breaking them. And He's mortaring. And He's fitting. And He's encouraging. And He's strengthening the whole batch. Because we're not any, any of us are not islands unto ourselves. You're not even sitting in this congregation all alone. And if you came in this morning and you thought, hey, it's just me and Jesus. You know, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to do my little thing and, and walk out the door. You missed the whole point of exhorting and edifying one another. See, because Matthew Henry, I mean, Matthew, sorry, Paul. Paul has a little bit more authority than Matthew Henry. Well, he has a lot more authority. The Apostle Paul doesn't stop with old personal edification because he said it, that personal edification must translate into what? Brotherly and sisterly edification. It must. That's the exhortation here. We're being, knit, we're being fitted together. What happens, brother, forgive me for what happens when David's got a rough edge and he rubs me the wrong way? What's the Lord doing? through the ministry and the grace of the church, he's going to whack it off and fit us together. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? We must, brothers and sisters, and that's what he's doing with us. That's what he's doing in our uh, Christian homes. And that's what he's doing in Christian churches. That's what he's doing in Christian churches. He's knitting and fitting us together all through the work and the ministry under the headship of Christ we heard the, the passage the great commission that's the basis that's the substance that's the, that's the source all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me it's all mine now go and do what I command you to do and I'm going to bless it with my presence I'm going to bless it as I send out the Holy Spirit, as I give you the Spirit, the Spirit is going to work in you my will and purpose. So we see this edification personally, but we also must see it corporately. We must, beloved, be, uh, we must not, let me put it this way, let me put it in the negative, maybe to help. We must not be guilty of not Comforting, strengthening, and edifying our brothers and sisters. Now, what's the opposite of strengthening? If I'm going to strengthen my brother, what's the opposite of that? Weaken him or her. How would I weaken my brother or sister? Tempting them. Tempting them in what way? Anger. Frustration. To an extreme abuse of, of liberty, okay? To a violation of conscience. You know, you may have a brother that may have a, a conscience towards alcohol or towards uh, a certain kind of movie. Are you going to encourage them to go against their conscience? 
I hope not. Are you going to be patient and loving and kind and gracious? Right? And it can work the other way, right? So you're to strengthen them. How do you strengthen someone? You strengthen them. Well, first of all, as Paul, look at the context here. Notice what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 18. He gives us an indication here when he says, Therefore, comfort one another, or strengthen. The word means the same thing there. Strengthen one another with these words. With with this truth. With this sermon. With these proclamations of truth and doctrine. Encourage one another with the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage one another with doctrine, with solid biblical truth. Turn with me, if you will, to um, uh, Acts 20. And Paul is leaving um, Ephesus and he is certainly on his way um, to, uh, of course, his end which comes at the, toward the end of the uh, book of Acts there. But notice when Paul is leaving, I want to just read a couple of these things with you um, so that you might know what it means to build one someone up with these words and what Paul was exhorting these elders to be busy in doing. And I'm not, I can't read the whole chapter, but I'm going to begin at verse 25. It says, and now, now he's meeting with these elders, and, and this is what Paul is. These are Paul's words to them. He says, And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Now, Paul is saying in those verses what? When I was in your midst... I labored diligently to teach you the Word of God. I labored at it. And you can go back and read up in the further chapter, and Paul spent countless sleepless nights counseling, exhorting, teaching in order to weed out all of the cults and the false, under, false religion that they had come to the church with. Because you got to understand something. Nobody saved in a, in a sterile environment. We all come with baggage and idols and idolatry and lusts and passions that need to be rooted and dug out. And that happens over time, doesn't it? Amen. Nobody has, don't point a finger at anybody. We all come with idolatry. But he tells them, he says, listen, I taught you not just a certain passage of Scripture, I taught you the whole the whole shebang. I gave you the whole package. I didn't focus on one aspect. I didn't ride hobby horses. I taught you the whole Word of God. He goes in verse 28 says, Be on guard yourselves for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the, look what? 
to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's my point. The word edification, the word to edify, it it literally means to build a house. Comfort one another. Strengthen one another. Help your brother and sister maintain a strong, vibrant resolve to press on with Christ. Amen? That's what it means. Comfort one another. I want to help my brother and sister maintain a strong resolve to press on in Christ. And it's difficult. Now edify, build up. Grow, mature. I also not only want to comfort, I don't I also I not only want to strengthen that resolve for my brother and sister to persevere, but I also want to in some way aid and help them grow in Christ. I want to, it's like building a house. We are going to be built up together. In Christ Jesus. And brothers and sisters, primarily it comes through the teaching and preaching and practice of God's Word. Primary. I didn't say there weren't others. I said primary. There are others. There are other ways to help one another grow up. But I just mentioned the study, the reading, the meditating, the, the, uh, the self-absorbance of God's precious and holy word so that I would practice it myself. Because we don't want to be guilty of being a hypocrite. Matthew 7. So that my brother and sister would be able, that God would use me in their lives Use us in each other's lives that we would actually grow in, grow more in Christ, become more knowledgeable, more understanding. Oh, I see how that works now. I can, I understand. I have light. So that there's growth in one another. Now, let me. Um, Let me close with just a few applications. When we're talking about the study, personal study, memorization, personal acquaintance, personal acquaintance with the Word of God. I mean familiar with your Bibles. I mean familiar with your Scriptures. I I mean... Eating them, feasting on them, and I'm not. I, listen, I'm gonna. I'm not. I've not been that pastor that just told you you need to be reading the Bible every day. But I will say this: you need to be thinking about it and applying it every day. You may read it a couple times a week, and you may take the next three or four days and saturate what you read in your heads. But you got to be doing it. 
You've got to be letting that word work through your mind and affections. You've got to pray over it. Lord, give me understanding. It's not simply about reading through the Bible. I know people that read through the Bible, but they can't really use it. That's not going to be a person that will edify and build anyone up. Everything we have read this morning is related to what? Doing it. Knowing it and doing it. Amen? Amen. And what good is a Christian pastor that doesn't recognize that himself, that doesn't teach and promote that himself, and doesn't see a need for it? And what good is a Christian congregation that doesn't understand that either? I had an article come across my desk this week about useless preachers. Useless pastors. And it was all related and centered around the Word of God. Doesn't know it. Because they're more interested in personal relationships. Nothing wrong with that. But I tell you what, when the apostles had a great need in the first century, the widows needed to be fed. And they started fighting among themselves. We had the Hebrew widows fighting these, these uh, dis, the dispersion widows. And they caused a ruckus in the church. And then what did the elders do? We can't keep serving these tables. Let's go ahead and establish the office of deacon so that they may wait on these tables. And what were those ministers, what were those apostles to do? Dedicate themselves to prayer and the study of God's Word so that they could be used to do what? Exactly what Paul is encouraging us to do. So that they may encourage the flock. Strengthen the flock. So that they may what? Comfort, encourage, strengthen, and what? Build up, edify, grow. That's why we have uh, sermons that should... Have a focus of application so that you learn how to connect the dots. And so that you... Now listen to me. I'm not going to offend anybody. I don't want you to be offended. Don't take offense. But I see it as a problem. At large. Not necessarily here. It is not the pastor's job to spoon feed the congregation all their lives. Paul makes it clear, and Peter makes it clear. Milk is for children, spiritual babes. It's so that you begin, what? Rising up so that you can begin to comfort and strengthen and encourage your brothers and sisters. And look at the ministry of the church. It's, it's thriving and growing. Listen, you can say, oh, the church will never be stronger than its preaching. There may be truth to that. I think there is. But the church is never going to be stronger than the application and living out of the congregation. Right? Right? You see, both are needed, right? Both are necessary. Both are primary. Both are important so that our Christian, our homes that we claim to be Christian can be Christianized. Because I can fully assure you my home is not fully 100% Christianized. 
And it's in need of more Holy Spirit's graces. It's in need of more instruction. It's in need of more correction. It's in need of more admonition. It's in need of more encouraging. It's encouragement. It's in need of more strengthening. It's in need of more edification and building up. And I guess yours may be too. Brothers and sisters, we must take to heart this simple admonition and encouragement in verse 11. Can we leave here this morning with a fresh perspective and desire and interest in comforting one another and encouraging one another? Can we leave here this morning with a fresh perspective and a new interest in helping one another grow up in Christ? But I'm going to tell you, if all of us put our heads and our hands to our own interests, to our own preferences, to our own desires, we're going to be guilty of what the Corinth church was guilty of. They came together, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says you come together for your own interests and you destroy the body. You destroy the body of Christ. Because all you care about is yourself. Let us not be guilty of that. Let's pray. Father, do bless and keep us this day. As we consider these words, as we take to heart this twofold admonition to encourage ourselves and to encourage one another. Lord, that we might see our church built up and made strong, a place that is vibrant and full of life, a place where Christ is glorified and truly exalted because not only do we feast ourselves upon the Word of God, but we do what we can to help our brothers and sisters feast and practice the Word themselves and not be guilty, O God, of us causing our brothers and sisters to stumble. And if we do, oh Lord, may we find quick repentance in the name of Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, brothers and sisters,